This is What Next, the future fiction podcast exploring tomorrow through the stories of today. Utopia, dystopia, time travel, the apocalypse, from aliens to zombies and everything in between. Every episode is a new future. Would you rather get paid a lot to clean up awful stuff? Think of like the worst, most like sick induced thing you've ever had to clean up, like whether it's been poo or sick or whatever. Okay, sure. Which I feel like I probably have more experience in, but still, imagine. Or before you go on, I feel like you should clarify why you've got more experience in. <laughs> yeah, that's probably a good idea. I'm a carer. Uh-huh. I look after elderly people. I am not a yes, carer. No. So I recognise that I probably have more experience in cleaning up poo for professional reasons. Yes. So would you rather like be paid a lot but like have to clean up every day, all day, the worst stuff? Mm-hmm. Obviously you get your, you get your weekends or whatever. Or be paid like literally just enough for your entire life, but just like literally just have to go into somebody's house, wipe the surface and leave. Hmm. Well, that's an interesting question because they are both essentially cleaning jobs. Well, yes. Yes. <laughs> and as my partner will tell you, not a great cleaner <laughs> in any way, shape or form. If the second option had been, would you rather be paid like just enough to, I don't know, send one email a day or something? Mm. I would have taken that yeah. every single time. Yeah. Wiping a surface mm. is just not something I can get behind. <laughs> Really? That's that's the I level? think I, I think I may as well take the money. Oh my gosh. And if I'm cleaning, let's go all in. Like what, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot more satisfaction as well cleaning up a really big yeah. mess and having it clean rather than like wiping a surface that's already clean, you know? Yeah. I think maybe there's even more job satisfaction in it as yeah. disgusting as it is. So I'll take uh, money. Surprisingly yeah. to me, <laughs> I'm surprising myself with this answer. Really? Oh, I'll take wow. the big paycheck to oh, clean up the okay. grossest mess. Thank oh, good. You. I feel like I've given a good question there. I've learned something about myself yeah, today. There you, there you go. Yeah, I learned a lot about myself when I entered this job. <laughs> what I can and can't tolerate. Yeah. Why are you Why are you asking me about cleaning up poo? Okay. <laughs> it's a good question. So this week I have read a lovely book called Wool. Um, by Hugh Howie, which, again, is a great name. I don't know if that's his author's name or whether that is just his name, because it also sounds quite futuristic. I think he was originally self-published. It was just a short story, and then it got turned into a graphic novel. And recently, uh, I say recently, I don't think it was that quite recent. It was recent when I read the book. It's been developed into a TV show, I think. Oh, cool. Yeah, so it's really cool. And it's just hit off, basically. It's one of those really good things about Amazon where you can self-publish now. So I think he just self-published and it really caught people's eye. And now it's now it's pretty big. So that is Wool. It is part of a trilogy, but I'm just going to talk about the first one. And then... Well, I mean, that's like, from an author's point of view, though, that's a big undertaking to self-publish. I know. A start book in a trilogy. Yeah, I know. I don't know whether he always intended it to be a tr- trilogy or whether... He published the first one, saw the response he got and thought, I'm going to continue Mm. this. But I've started reading the second book and it just gets better for me anyway. All right, wicked. So I would say that Wool is quite a, like, on the surface level, or even even the depths of it, it's quite like, 
typical dystopian future fiction, but in all the good ways, for me anyway, like I thoroughly enjoyed this book. I thought it was just a pleasure to read. Doing this podcast was great because it made me look back and think, actually, why do I love this? Like, what is it about this that I really enjoyed? And I think it's just just a lovely imagination of what this life would be like. So what I want to do first is I'm going to get you to read the opening two sentences, I think it is, mm-hmm. or sentence of the book, and then we'll go from there. Okay. So, The children were playing while Holston climbed to his death. He could hear them squealing as only happy children do. Now, is that not just <laughs> the most, like, dystopian like beginning to a dystopian futuristic book that you can get is a pretty solid opening if you've got death in the first sentence death yeah. and children exactly. in the first sentence yeah. children having fun somebody going to die you're starting out strong yeah yeah pretty strong <laughs> so there's a couple of different narratives in this book there's the main protagonist which is called Juliet but they call her Jules but she doesn't get introduced initially initially we're following a guy called Holston and we learn that he is a sheriff and he's currently climbing up these stairs to essentially to go and die. And we learn through the first couple of chapters, basically, that he lives in a 144 floor silo that is built into the ground. So the first, wow. yeah, it's my perfect mix of like sci-fi dystopian storytelling. And yes, yeah, so there's 144 floors. The top floor is just above the ground and it's got cameras in which you can see outside and we learn pretty quickly that something disastrous has happened to the earth and it's unhabitable could say that so everyone all now lives in this big silo that's built into the ground and they've got these cameras where they can see outside and see how horrible it is basically oh okay yeah so you can witness it from inside the silo yeah how awful it is outside yeah yeah which you know you can kind of already see it's shaping to be these first couple of chapters for me are great because it really introduces sort of how life in this silo is being built and how the residents in are kind of put into a system in order to make the supposed living quarters be the most harmonious as possible you know like how good it is that we are safe inside right because look at how horrible it is outside yeah 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 sure and we learn that Holston is the sheriff, and he goes up to the top, puts his badge onto his deputy's desk, asks to go in the cell, locks the door behind him, and then just turns around to his deputy and just says, tell the mayor I want to go outside. And that's the end of the first chapter. Wow, Which, okay. So we're like straight in there with the, right, something, something's happening, something's going on. Honestly, when I first read it, I was like, I'm in. Hook, line, and sinker, I'm down. <laughs> and this is like my favorite kind of opening where it's giving you snippets of this life, of what it's about, right? Okay, we're in this dystopian world. But also there's obviously rules and regulations to this life. And we're not fully aware of what this means, what's going on, why is he going to die? What does going outside mean? Why does that correlate to dying? And over the course of the first couple of chapters, we learned that to say I want to go outside is basically a death sentence. It's the first ultimate rule is you do not talk about wanting to leave the silo. Right, okay. Which is kind of strange because throughout the book, there is a sense of like a harmonious living, like everyone's getting on with it. It doesn't seem like 
this awful, you know, sometimes you look at a dystopian world and it's quite clearly a dystopian setting. People aren't happy, the the big people are the ones ruling and everyone else is under, like, you know, just going with it. But everyone seems to be pretty just kind of all right. You know, there's, there's an ecosystem, there's everything is working in tandem with each other. And yet that introduction of written rule being you can't talk about wanting to go outside seems so authoritarian and so like, just controlling that you think man like why is this not why is that the case yes there's a closeness isn't there between that style of dystopian storytelling and a kind of cult dynamic right of Mm. like yeah it looks great but it looks great because it's presented in a certain way yeah and so wanting to leave it we're still not sure whether that's good or bad right yeah absolutely Um, and then also, if we scratch beneath the surface, we're probably going to find some more interesting dynamics yeah. in here rather than just everything's harmonious and working well. Absolutely, right. absolutely. And I think, again, that's what I liked about this this book as well is because it kind of launches you straight into the story without too much kind of preamble. It does the setting while getting you into, like, wrapped up into actually what's happening within within this world. And I'm quite a big fan of that. I quite like just launching straight in. Yes. I don't mind your like big, you know, taking the time to set the scene. But I also love it when authors just go, nope, you're in. That's it. Here we go. I think a lot of dystopia is quite good at that, like just plunging mm. you instantly. I wonder if maybe that's one of the things, because I also like when a story starts that way, whatever story it is, whether mm. it's in the future or not. I really like being thrown into the middle of something and having to do some work to figure it out. And I enjoy the technique that it requires from an author and from the book to help you backfill the story a little bit and get to grips with the world. And so I think maybe one of the things that, one of the reasons that I enjoy these future fictions so much, it's really easy to do that, to throw you into the story Uh and you almost have to work back not only to, okay, well, what's this world like? But how has it got there from the the reality that we're in now? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you you hit the nail on the head there, that kind of almost element of a bit of problem solving in there of trying to pull the pieces together whilst going on this this journey. There's something really exciting about that. So we learn as well that Holston lost his wife three years ago to her also saying i want to go outside right and it okay paints this kind of gives us little snippets of his wife who's called ellison who has been doing research into what they called uprisings and apparently there's been loads of uprisings throughout the history of being in this silo we kind of get the impression that they've been in this for hundreds and hundreds of years but the most recent silo the history of whatever happened in there was wiped out after this this most recent uprising and oh, there's, okay. there's bits of information about what's happened previously. So we understand that there's usually an uprising like every 50 years or whatever. But since the most recent one, it's been like 100 years or something since this most recent uprising. But there's no history really or record of what particularly caused it. Mm-hmm. And Alison, we find, has been digging deeper and deeper into why and asking a lot of questions, which makes Halston a bit unsure because he's a bit kind of, again, it's erring closer to that question of questioning what is happening in the silo, you know, asking, you know, the questions it shouldn't be asked. And he's part of the establishment too, right, Halston? Absolutely, absolutely. And read this scene where he is called because his wife's gone kind of, she's basically, how would you describe it? She's just almost gone like lost touch with reality through all these things. And she's just going, I want to go out, I want to go out, I want to go out, I want to go outside. 
he's obviously beside himself because he's like, she said it. I can't mm. take back those words. She's kind of put her own death sentence now. So we learn then, kind of flicking back to where Holston is now in the cell, that this death sentence is essentially, if you say you want to go outside or if you commit other kind of big crimes in the silo, you get sentenced to cleaning. And the act of cleaning is basically you get sent outside in a suit into this uninhabitable world to clean the cameras that give you the view of the outside. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. And then you die because the world is so inhabitable yeah. that you can only survive there for so long until the atmosphere basically tears you up. And it gives this really like haunting description of, of seeing a hill in the distance where there's a thing that looks like a rock where he knows his wife died because he saw her walk to that spot and then collapse. Oh boy. So, you know, there's already, again, you've got that really kind of big position of these happy children playing this supposedly harmonious silo where they've got all these different working parts all working together mm. right next to scenes of, you know, horrible death and destruction and darkness, essentially. Yeah, right. And everyone's just kind of going on with their daily business as if, yep, yeah, okay, that's what happens. So we get kind of snippets of of people worrying that he's not going to want to clean when they go out. And everyone always says, I'm not going to clean when I go out because, you know, most people who end up there didn't want to end up there. They right, up right. There because they've committed some crime. I'm going to do one last job for the thing that yeah, I'm so sick yeah. of that I'm suicidal, right? Exactly, exactly. But everyone always does. And no one understands why. No mm-hmm. one understands why every single person that goes outside cleans the cameras. And Halston is just like, I don't know if I'm not going to say that I am, I'm not going to say that I'm not. And then he does go outside, he's in the suit, and when he gets outside, everything is green and blue and beautiful. Everything is picturesque, it's fine, it's wonderful, it's brilliant. So he's like, oh my God, this is why they all cleaned. Like, do people in the silo know that this is that this is going on? Why don't we go outside? They must not know, they must be, because there's no way to communicate once you're outside to the inside. Right, so they must sure. not know. So he's like, right, well, I'll go around and I'll clean the cameras. You know, I don't know why they're displaying what they're displaying, but I'll clean the cameras and then I'm going to go and find my wife. So he does that and then he starts going and he thinks, what am I even got this helmet on for? I'm going to take the helmet off. And he gets to where his wife is and he takes the helmet off and suddenly everything is as bleak as it was on the screens. Everything is dark and dusty and uninhabitable and oh, he starts so that beautiful struggling. world is in the helmet <laughs> yes okay yeah so yeah basically he ends up dying next to where his wife died with the realization that that screen on the camera is fake presumably to make people clean the cameras so that people can see outside yeah. so that's the introduction that we get to this this silo so it's straight in with wow. what you know whereabouts what... in the book are we at this point how far in? Like three chapters in no way yeah yeah so i'm I'm already like, I'm, I'm in, I'm down. I'm like, right, this is, we kind of almost already know what's fishy, if that yeah, makes sense. Yeah. We know what the lie is, which again is what I thought was really interesting about this book. And while it is kind of a little bit classic, it's got your classic features, it's still a little bit, it is pulls you in because you can't, you immediately know, right, well, the management is lying. We already yeah. know that and we already kind of know bits and pieces of yeah, what we are lying about. Yeah, we don't quite know what about or why yeah, or yeah. exactly how the decision got made or who made Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah, there's still loads to unpack. Yeah. But you've got a good sense of what's wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, love absolutely. that. Love that. So then basically they need to pick a new sheriff because obviously they, 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 you have a sheriff and deputy and a mayor. 
Mayor? I said that very, like, I don't know, like Simpsons Mayor. I liked it. I'll go with it then. I'll keep going. So they need to pick someone and the previous sheriff, Halston, put three people down, which he thought would be a good idea before he went. And um, they end up picking this girl called Juliet, who is a mechanic. So we learn that basically in this silo on these 144 levels, each level or area has a certain job. So essentially they've created like an ecosystem within this, within this underground silo. So they've got water plants, they've got food, they've got animals, they've got the mechanical floor as well, the machinery gets working, they've got an IT department. So they've got all these different like departments and things and everyone has a role, everyone has a job, everyone has, essentially it's a big machine and everyone has a part to play. And I think that's another thing that I really enjoyed about reading this is because you know, especially with, I guess, the current world situation. <laughs> yeah. None of us really know what's going to happen. And I do often find myself thinking, you know, if something like that is to happen, where you all just, you are crammed into this situation where you just have to survive, there's something that I find, like, wonderfully beautiful about the simplicity of that. Yeah. Of every, all of the, like, I guess you could call it in nonsense of our life now, all of the the exterior stuff just being stripped away and the just simple like thing of right your job is a mechanic you go and fix the valve you work on the valve and then you go home and that's that is your job Mm. and barry next door is you know goes and works in the farms all day and then he comes back and it and i think it does really strip back that kind of it's in the future, but it's almost going back to what our roots were. Yes, as as people, you know, we didn't we didn't used to have like I guess newspapers or screens and TVs and all that kind of nonsense. We were just living to survive. Yeah, there's a simple life kind of idealism to it, right? Mm. Like the the kind of documentaries that you get where people go and live in an Amish community for a yeah. week and come away saying, "Oh, never looking at my phone again," you know that sort of it, stuff. Yeah. It, it kind of maps that onto the future, right? Where it yeah. takes all of that technology and all that busyness away yeah. and gives you a simplicity. That's quite good, isn't it? Because it that idea is something that kind of straddles utopia and dystopia mm. because it's one of those things that seems quite appealing, the yeah. simplicity and just go and do your job and yeah. you know that's it. But then actually, I don't know about you, but I am not cut out for farming. <laughs> or any job that would be useful in a survivalist uh, yeah. world. Plumbing, electrics, anything kind of handy, really, I can't do yeah. or no good at. I think that's our problem as creatives. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's why as, as much as I like I like the idea of it, I know that it's not, I, I would not work. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. You know, I, very much when I look at it and I think, and I, I'm in love with the simplicity, I wonder if that's because I know I could never be in a simple space yeah. like that. Because I, th- I think the idea of the simplicity is very exciting and the practicality mm. of the simplicity is very difficult. And yeah, That makes absolutely. it a compelling thing for a future absolutely. idea. Absolutely. And it's always interesting to see in the novels and what have you, to see how it breaks down, to see what what is the trigger point that makes this tip. Because you know, as humans, I don't think we can we we can't work harmoniously in a, in a massive society. It's just not we're just not built that way. We have too many emotions right. that get in the way. So, but yeah, so we we follow the mayor to go and interview Juliet, and Juliet is not interested at all. She's like, "I'm a mechanic. This is my job. I like my job. I just get it done, and that's what I do." And we start to see this 
there's like a relationship between the different departments and the different floors. And we kind of see that in, in again, like in a very real, real sense, the people in mechanics feel like they're not necessarily appreciated by the people up top. And so you kind of start to see this relationship between the people up top and the people down below. Hey, that's the point. When I was saying I can't do anything very practical, maybe I could be in a dystopian middle management team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, you could be the you could be the mayor or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where do I fill out the application for oppressor? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if I was to do like a, a dystopian, that's what I would do. Maybe just a Mickey take of like general bad guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, villain. Yeah. So yeah, so we start to see a little bit more of like the humanistic things and the, the cracks in this foundation, essentially. And we get introduced to a guy called Bernard, who runs the IT department. And we kind of get the IT idea that the IT department is very relied upon, very well liked, and the guy who runs it knows that. And we kind of get quite quickly that he's definitely somebody with ambition. He's got an idea of who he wants as sheriff. And the mayor doesn't listen to him. He appoints Juliet anyway. Juliet agrees, but only on the circumstance that she gets the power switched off so that she can go and fix the pumps downstairs. Oh, okay. (laughs) If I can achieve my main mechanics job that's been wearing me down for however long (laughs) I've been mechanicking, then I will be the sheriff. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, it's it's so... what a very personal and community-minded trade Yeah, yeah. But I think, you, do you not think that's kind of like, I think we all have that. I think whenever you work in a system of lots of different parts, you always feel, or at least there is an element of thinking, nobody else gets my part. Absolutely. Yeah. And so if you get given like a chance, you kind of think, I want to do this because this is going to change everybody's, not just my department, it's going to change everyone's. Mm-hmm. The chances are there is a lot of things that will make everything better. But yeah. It's just impossible to do all at once. And even if it won't th- make things better, even if it's arbitrary, mm. the idea of, oh, if I can complete this one thing <laughs> yeah, and just and just know that I've done it, even if it's completely inane, I've definitely had jobs where I've thought, if I could just finish this call list for no good reason, <laughs> it doesn't make any difference to anyone. Someone else will just start ringing the call list if I yeah. stop. But if I can just phone everyone on this list and have it done, yeah. the satisfaction I'll get will be supreme. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think when you are living in that kind of repetitive environment, it is those little things that you think, man, if I get this done, I'll be so happy. Yeah. Yeah. So we have this like kind of dynamic beginning between the different parties within the silo. And you can kind of already start to see, you know, what might have caused disruptions and stuff in the past. But Julia gets appointed sheriff. Not long after this, the mayor mysteriously dies. Oh, no. Mm. Oh, no. And I think the reader is letting to know that it was poison, but nobody else knows. Okay. And Juliet figures it out, and she knows that it's the IT manager. And she's like, right, something something fishy is going on here. Mm. So she starts investigating, right, why did Holston kill himself? And why did his wife do the same thing? What is happening here? So she starts investigating. She makes a friend in the IT department. They have a little thing, but it's not a huge thing. Okay. Book, which I was kind of like, okay, I'll accept that. <laughs> like, obviously we have to have the typical romance, but it's not a huge part of the story. So I accepted that. And as she starts digging, Bernard really starts to kind of go on the offense basically, and he does not want her digging into any of this stuff. So it it kind of comes clear that maybe he knows something's going on. 
so that's kind of like the first half, kind of beginning of the book, this setting up of something's not right. Juliet, this girl who's literally just a mechanic, is set out to figure out what's wrong. And I think the lovely part of her being a mechanic, and again, that thing that where she just wanted to fix this one problem, it's really kind of nice because it reflects into the rest of like her journey is she saw a problem and she's going to have to go and fix it. She's just a really nice, what I would call like a, I don't know, understated hero because she's not like, yeah. I'm going to save everyone. You know, this isn't right. This is wrong. It's more just a, hmm, that's not working. You know, there's a leak there. I need to fix that. So, you know, it runs very much on the lines of, I guess, something that I feel is what I've come across as like, somebody needs to do it. Yeah, It may right. as well be me. So, you know, we've got this really lovely character, I think, which is really nice to follow along. So then we get to kind of like the nitty gritty, I guess, of what's going on in the silo. So as she learns more about what's going on and uncovers these secrets and see that there is huge, huge sort of holes in the information that the kind of core few leaders, I suppose, of the core of the silo. I don't know why I called it a core. They have got big secrets, basically, that I'm not telling not telling anyone. Bernard realizes that she is close to finding out the, the truth. And so essentially says that she's committed a big crime, sends her back down to mechanics. So she t- takes a deputy, takes a sheriff badge away from her. And then he then sentences her to cleaning. Oh, okay. So she's going to be sitting outside. But she's found out that the suits that were being made weren't to send people outside weren't actually very good. They were actually being made with rubbish materials in order to make them not last that mm-hmm, long. Mm-hmm. And obviously they've been told that oh, it's because that that they don't have to live for it like for a long time in this horrible environment. But she's starting to see that there might be something else. She understands that the visor, she's seen the visor, she knows that the image that the cleaners are given isn't real. Oh, okay. And then she finds a bunker in the IT department with a phone. Now Uh-oh. there aren't phones in the rest of the, the silo. At oh, all. really? There's none. So she gets sent out. She's made a friend in the IT department who has helped her kind of get yeah. all this together. She's sent out for cleaning. She knows that the visor isn't real. So she like breaks it so she can actually see what's happening. And because her suit is more robust, it's not disintegrating as quick as the other people's. She's the first person to go out to not clean. So she doesn't, she's left this. Basically, she just heads out knowing that somewhere there are other people and she comes across another silo that has already been disrupted. Basically, there's a lot of people coming out or either there's a lot of bodies. Oh, wow. Okay. So there looks to have been like an uprising or something's happened where everyone's tried to run out. They've subsequently died. And so she goes into the silo and she finds that there's still people living in the depths of the silo where the radiation and all of that hasn't quite reached. And she goes to work trying to get rid of the leak that's happened in there and gets access to the secret IT room that's in there, gets access to the radio and manages to contact the friend that she made in IT in her gotcha. department. okay, yeah. yeah. And that's when basically they, they she figures out that they've had a, a uprising because she hasn't cleaned they kind of like started to be like what the hell's going on and then the friends in the mechanics department who aren't happy that she was sent to cleaning have all risen against the IT and it's it's all going on but then she finds out her friend is being sentenced to cleaning 
And she knows, obviously, the suit he's going to be given is not going to be very good. So she sets back going to try and save him. Right. And she gets through the silo, thinks she's just missed being able to save him, but goes in the silo and finds out, actually, he's managed to tell everyone the truth. And Bernard, who was the IT guy who was trying to set everyone against her, has been killed. Wow. So much has happened. Oh, honestly, the last bit of the book is just wild. Yeah. It just but that's that's where it ends and she gets appointed mayor and she is now kind of head of the silo and she decides, Well, I'm gonna lead with truth, I'm gonna tell everyone what's been happening. And that's where it ends. Oh my goodness. It sounds so fast paced. It is, and it's so good because it really does build a world whilst being fast paced. Like in my head. I have such a good image of what this silo looks like, like the way it has some really lovely descriptions about walking up the steps in the silo and how long they are and how big this this place is. It actually talks about needing three days to get from the top to the bottom. Oh my goodness. Which is insane. Yeah. So the idea of the depth of this place, the how much has gone into it and how like when I say it's an ecosystem, it is a full like world down there. And I just love that kind of in this tiny little space, they've built this huge world that is basically on, on the edge of a breakdown because of the little pieces of information that aren't being given that someone somewhere knows. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I kind of like it because it's kind of a bit understated. You know, it's a bit of a mystery as opposed to just one person, like, fighting the power, yeah. <laughs> as it were. It's just a mystery of trying to get to the bottom of things and uncovering bits and pieces and... And the relationship between people as as they try and work in this enclosed space, like, I think, you know, it really sort of tries to say that humans can't do that. We're not made to live in a machine where we're all different cogs of a thing turning and turning. It just doesn't work. Right. And so, you know, you're kind of left with, right, well, she's, they know the truth now, but what are they going to do with that? How do they... You know, are they going to try and contact more silos and then more silos out there? What's happened to them? You know, what? why did they not know that there were other silos? You know, why was it all yeah. kept secret? We just don't know this. It ends, it sounds like, on kind of an end of the world scenario for this new world. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. There's a whole, our reality is finished. This yeah. new siloed reality has started. But then by the end of the book, that's ended too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So and it could finish there. It doesn't. There is another two books. I'd highly recommend reading the other two. Mm-hmm. But if you are someone who doesn't like trilogies, you know, you can just read the one and be satisfied mm-hmm. with it. Yeah, I think it's just a beautiful, like, just lovely, like, futuristic dystopian world with actual substantial kind of storytelling and plot. It's not about it being in a silo. It's about the people living in the silo and the kind of mystery of what's going on. And I think it's really well told. Hugh Howie for publishing it himself i'm sure he's had editors look at it now before it's been republished however you know through doing himself and having all this little creative world he's imagined he's he's written it really well yeah it sounds incredible it is it is absolutely lovely well worth a read and it also has a little bit of my favorite kind of sentiment which i don't know where they've got it from but it's essentially one of the quotes she says is no one has to be here the only thing that we can control is what we do with our actions once we get put here, which I think is a lovely little thing to think about when you're thrust into the the chaotic world that we are in now. We can't control it. We can't, you know, I can't change what whoever in the government says to do whatever. I can Mm. only do what I can do. And I think it's a nice way of looking at a disastrous moment is you can't change that. It's going to happen. 
but you can do your bit, as it were. A powerful piece of philosophy yes. for us there all to take go. away. Well done. There you go. Thanks for listening to What Next, the Future Fiction Podcast. Be a part of our collective future by visiting futurepod.co.uk. You'll find reading lists and release dates for all of our upcoming episodes, as well as ways to get involved. Whatever the future holds, let's go there together.